You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. I'd like to extend my warm welcome to you, uh, particularly if you're here for the first time today. Delighted to have you here and we trust and pray that uh, you're able to feel at home and feel a warmth of welcome here and to sense the presence of God in our midst as we gather in the wonderful name of Jesus. Well, I'd also like to say a big thank you to those of you who prayed for us last week. We were in Singapore this time last week and had six days, Singapore, Malaysia. Uh, it was part ministry and uh, part a learning experience for us. Uh, we were last week in Trinity Christian Center in Singapore, which is Pastor Dominic Yeo's church, and uh, myself and, and Esther ministering across their two different campuses over the weekend, which was a huge privilege for us. And uh, then we went away with their leadership team and really were just sitting in that space learning uh, how they process some of their vision as a team. And uh, that was a, a, a period, a time of personal development for us. It was also the icing on the cake was that Matt Davis, who is our general manager, was happened to be out on business at the same time. And so we were able to connect and uh, spend some days together. And, and he was with us over the weekend and then also uh, on the retreat in the early part of the week. So thank you for those of you who prayed. Also want to congratulate our conference team for a massive week just gone and outstanding feedback uh, from those who came and used our facility on Monday. There was the Department of Education, about 200 delegates. And then on Wednesday, NFU Mutual, uh, the big insurance company, had a, a, a national gathering here, about 350 of their senior team. And uh, just great feedback. It was technically a very complex conference to host, and the guys smashed it. And uh, apparently the chief exec was heard to say, why have we not used this venue before? Uh, this is excellent. So yeah, we... we um, so proud of the team here. And, um, and then also, at the end of the week, two and a half days of the iKids Conference, which is the Assemblies of God annual children's conference. So children's ministry teams from churches all over the UK gathering here about 300 delegates uh, Thursday, Friday, yesterday. So a, a big hand really to those who make that work. And thank you. And don't forget, if you are, are working uh, in, a, in a marketplace, you work for an organization or a company that uses external venues like hotels or conference centers to do any training or uh, meetings, then uh, do recommend us. You just have to Google the Welcome Center and you'll find a very high level of service and capability. And uh, all profit generated through our conference and goes into the, the mission and the ministries here at CLM at the end of the day. So uh, that is how it works. Wonderful. If you've got a Bible, please turn with me to the Gospel of Mark and in particular to chapter 5. And we are going to home in today on the story of the healing of Jairus' daughter. What an incredible and beautiful story this is that we find in Mark 5. There is a parallel account found in Luke chapter 8. And the context is Jesus has been about his ministry. He's been over in the Gerasenes, uh, a region across the Sea of Galilee from, from where he is for the story that we're looking at today. And over in the Gerasenes, uh, he encountered a man who was seriously demonized, whose life had been ravaged and afflicted. 
and he sees Jesus and Jesus set him free from all of his demons and all of the assault that had come spiritually against him. And the Bible said he was found clothed and in his right mind. What an incredible story of restoration for this guy. But in the interim, the demons that have left him, and and don't ask me exactly how this works, but they uh, were cast out and went into a herd of 2,000 pigs who then ran and drowned themselves in some water. And the people of the region said to Jesus, please get away from us. This is too much. We can't handle you here. And so he departed. And it says they came back uh, across the lake and they returned to the area where we are, which is thought to be Capernaum. In Luke 8, the parallel account, it says that when he arrived, the crowd there welcomed him for they had been expecting him. And in this place, although in the Gerasenes they'd asked him to leave, in this place he was welcome. And it's in a place of welcome in our own hearts and corporately where I believe we most are likely to see God do his work, that we keep an open posture and a welcome posture, an expectant posture to the things of God. And so Jesus is here, probably Capernaum, but on the back on the other side of the lake to the Gerasenes. And it says this in verse 21, which is where we break in. I'm reading from NIV 1984. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now, we're just going to pause the story there. Many of you who know the Bible and know the Gospels will know that at that moment, there is a big crowd pressing in against Jesus and they begin to make their journey towards the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. And in the crowd, there is a woman who has been sick. She has had an issue of blood. She has been bleeding, hemorrhaging for 12 long years. The Bible said she used all the money she had on medical services, but instead of getting better, she got worse. And she's in that gathering that day. And the Bible says she thought to herself, if I could only get to Jesus, if I could just touch traditionally the hem of his garment, if I could just even touch his clothing, I know I can be healed. And so she presses through the crowd and she reaches out and she touches his clothing. And immediately she knows she's been healed. Something of virtue, of power comes out of Jesus and touches her life and she is healed. Jesus knows there has been a spiritual transaction. Something has happened and he says, who touched me? And the disciple says, how can you ask who touched me? He's like, everyone's touching you. Like we're, we're in a mob here. And Jesus said, no, 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 someone, someone touched me. Something happened. I felt something happen and, and, and the, the crowd stops and Jesus is asking a question and the woman makes herself known and shares her story presumably because it's captured here in the gospel and Jesus says, my daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And we pick up the story with Jairus right here, verse 35. It says, while Jesus was still speaking, that's to the woman, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Verse 37, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they arrived at the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. 
After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up, or traditionally arise is really the, the Greek better translation. Little girl, arise. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. The title of my message today is Talitha Kum. I wonder if we can say that phrase together. It's an, it's an Aramaic phrase. I doubt there are many Aramaic speakers among us, but it is captured here in Scripture. Talitha Kum. Let's say that together. Talitha Kum, little girl, arise. And I, I bring this word today because I believe God would want to speak a word of arise to our hearts here. I'm aware little girl arise is in danger of alienating half of the room, but this is not a message just for the ladies. It is a message for the ladies, but it's not a message just for the ladies because there can be a, a little girl inside of all the ladies here that God would say arise. There's a woman of God in here. Arise, but it's a word also to not just the, the women and not just to the young, but to every single one of us that would speak to the smallness that is prone to exist in all of our hearts to arise. Little one, arise, because there is something, it has been my observation, not just in my life, but in pastoral ministry, there is something of smallness that is prone to reside, lurk live within every single one of us, a battle for us to arise and be everything that God has called us to be. There can be a call on your life, a, a promise to do something incredible, and yet there can be a battle to overcome inferiority. There can be a battle to overcome limitation, to overcome a sense of inadequacy. We can all be very aware of what we're not and, and prone to dumb down what God says that we are. And that can be an internal battle. Does, does anybody know what I'm talking about here today? A battle over that sense of smallness within us. And I believe God will want to speak a word today and say, little one, arise, a call to arise. It's my conviction that the Bible is filled with exhortations of people to arise for God to call out his greatness that he has deposited within you. The greatness that he would put on your life and to speak to it and call it out and bring it forth. But I want us to notice through this story that Jesus is not passive about what goes on. He takes control of the environment. He takes control of the atmosphere. He, he comes against limitation and heaviness and unbelief. He, he at one point, verse 37, he says, he did not allow anybody else. This is whole crowd. And he says, at that moment, he said to the crowd, he must have said to the crowd, no one from this point on. No one. Peter, James, John, nobody else. He takes control of the situation and he comes to create an environment where a little girl can arise. And I believe we have to partner with the Holy Spirit in our own journey to take control of our environment. That if we're passive about our environment, we will have obstacles that will come against us that will restrain and restrict us from arising and be who God calls us to be. Does that make sense? And I'd like us to observe this story. See, God is always speaking to people to arise. I don't know if you have ever thought about the, the journey through the Bible, how often God comes and seems to put a call on somebody that seems too big for them, but he calls it out and he, he seems just, he's not bothered by people's excuses. It, 
It means nothing to him. I don't know if you've even thought in the beginning what it, what it meant. You know, I, I, I'm astonished really if you look at Genesis chapter 1. Verse 27, it says, So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Oh, it sounds perfectly reasonable when you read it like that, doesn't it? Do you think about that? Can you imagine being Adam or Eve? Can you imagine being created earlier that day? You have not existed, and then suddenly you exist. And then God's saying, I'm going to put you over everything. You know, the fish of the sea, sounds nice, a nice little fish. But what about the great white shark? What about the, what, what about the blue whale? But over the birds of the air, you know, a little robin. But well, what, what about the golden eagle and the, the horned owl? The, the, the creatures that move along the earth, you know, like a little rabbit. But what about the lion and the tiger and the alligator and the elephant? And the rhinoceros. And the man-eating python. I think if I was Adam, I'd say, uh, well, Lord, thank you. But I think your confidence is slightly misplaced. I have no experience with these species. Um, I I wonder if I could propose a slightly different plan here. um, That maybe you should rule over them, at least for a while. Uh, Allow me to observe how you tame the lion. How you uh, control the alligator. Because I... I'm sure you're aware of this, Lord, but you only just made me. Uh, I haven't really seen these things before. I've got no expertise. And I wonder if we could maybe establish some sort of a training program. Maybe something that I might call a handover period. You know, that maybe you, maybe why don't you, you rule over them. Why don't you subdue the earth you made and show me how it's done. And then maybe over time, I could take on the fish. And then, and then let's get to grips with the birds. But I'm really uneasy about this alligator over here. And, I, and that's going to take me a while. But God doesn't say that, does he? Because I believe he has confidence in that which he has created. Beyond what we might. And he has confidence today in that which he has created in you. He saw you before the foundations of the earth. He chose you in him before he said, let there be light. And he has confidence in that which he has created. And yet often within us, there can be smallness. We can be prone to think we're not ready. And so God speaks in this way to, to Abraham. He speaks in this way to Moses, to Joshua. There's, a, there's incredible encounters where God comes and puts something on his people. And yet they, they are so aware they're not qualified. And yet God doesn't seem phased by that. He says to Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. And Moses not unreasonably says, but who am I to go to Pharaoh? But God doesn't really seem phased by that. He just says, well, I'll be with you. Just get on with it. Oh, Moses comes up with a number of other excuses, and that's a different message all in itself. Of course, the key, as we heard last week from Jonathan, is to remain in him. That as we remain in him and his words remain in us, we would bear much fruit that in Christ we can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, this is what the Bible says, such confidence we have through Christ before God. Will you say with me, I have confidence through Christ. You may not feel like it, but this is what the Bible says. 
If you will remain in him, you will find a confidence. This is what the Bible says, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, in Christ, you are a competent minister. Wow, what an incredible thought. And yet within most of us, there is a challenge to arise. There is, there is a challenge because our smallness will try and creep in. I believe we can learn some things here from Jesus. There are some things that would come against us that would seek to eliminate obstacles to the arising miracle within us to be who God destined us to be. I don't believe these are merely incidentals in the story, but they are points from which we can learn. Three thoughts for us today. Firstly, he ignored limitation to allow possibility. He ignored limitation to allow possibility. The woman with the issue of blood is healed. And then some come from the house of Jairus, the Bible says, and they say, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? You know, imagine being Jairus. You've had the courage to come to call Jesus and Jesus is on your way to the home. There's been an interruption with a woman who's got healed and then suddenly some people come. Jesus hasn't even made it to your house and they say, Jairus, your daughter is dead why bother the teacher anymore? Those words threaten to shut the whole thing down. Those words that sound so reasonable, polite, respectful. Why bother the teacher anymore? Jairus, it's over. Jairus, don't, you're becoming a burden. Jairus, it's not appropriate. It sounds like the voice of reason, doesn't it? But if you think about it, I don't believe Jesus was bothered. I don't believe it. I don't believe he was, in fact, I believe he was delighted to go work a miracle. I don't believe that Jairus was bothering him. It also says, why bother the teacher? Of course, Jesus is a teacher. There's never been a more profound and wonderful teacher that has set foot on planet Earth. But in this moment, Jairus hasn't gone to him for his teaching. He's gone to him because it's likely that in Capernaum, it's the place where Jairus is a synagogue ruler, where Jesus has on a Sabbath day opened up the withered hand of a man who, who was, was crippled and opened up. And it's quite possible, although we can't be certain from Scripture, that that was Jairus' synagogue, that Jairus was there. And even though the Pharisees under whom he served as synagogue ruler, which is like a general manager of the synagogue, that he, that he had seen this, even though the Pharisees he served under plotted to kill Jesus because he healed on the Sabbath, Jairus couldn't unsee what he'd seen and he'd seen a miracle. And now his, his daughter's dying. His daughter is, is nearing the end and she's only 12. And in his desperation, he pushes through it all and, and he comes and he finds this Jesus and says, you gotta come. It's possible that he'd seen the hand open and he just thinks like the woman. If I can just get him to come to my house. But then the words come. Ah, oh, your, your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Words of limitation that would seek to come in. But the Bible says in verse 36, ignoring what they said. Huh. Ignor ignoring. Jesus, he heard what was said. Ignoring what they said. Some of the translations that you might have, it might say overhearing what he said, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. That there are two words in the original which really mean in contradicting what had been said. 
Moreover, Jesus said to Jairus, there's this juxtaposition of Jesus. Here's what is said, but he speaks almost against it. The American Standard Version is probably the best version where it says, taking no heed for what had been said. So Jesus, he hears it, but he takes no heed of it. And here's the point, because a word can come into our lives, a word maybe spoken in our internal speak, it can come sometimes in a, in a rash moment from a, an angry parent or a teacher years ago, and it can live within us, it can be part of who we think we are or who we think we aren't. You're stupid, you're an idiot, you'll never make anything, you'll, some things can be said. We can adopt some things out of our experience and say, I, I have been rejected, I, I have, this has happened to me, this is, and we start to define, and it's like a word of limitation would seek to come upon us. But the Bible says, taking no heed of that, Jesus spoke a different word. And I believe if we're going to arise, we have to learn how to push past, ignore, take no heed of limitation in order to allow the possibilities of God into our world taking no heed or not heeding the word spoken, the American standard. See, the enemy will try and limit us. Enrooted this week in our life groups, we're on to there is an enemy. It's a powerful session and there is an enemy that will try and limit us, try to bring a word into our lives. Working with the Message Trust for the, the higher tour, I've met a guy called John Williams who's an incredible overcomer. He was diagnosed with cerebral palsy, born premature, and the doctors said of him he'd never talk and he'd never walk. Uh, but right now he's an evangelist, uh, sharing the good news of Jesus with, with people uh, who have got disabilities, seen and unseen. Incredible guy. And he's got a bit of a stammer, but he just uses it for a bit of humor. And, and it's, uh, it's just an amazing, wonderful, redemptive story, this guy, John. And... Um, Part of his story, there's a video you can find called John, John's Story on YouTube. And it simply, he says this at one point, do you believe what God, he, he had to ask himself, do you believe what people say about you? Do you believe the names you've been called? Or do you believe what God says about you? And he had to make a decision in his own life that he was going to believe what God had said about him. Jesus ignored limitation to allow possibility. My friend, I don't know what's been spoken over your life. Maybe there's something that you can identify with and you've got to ask yourself, is this the word of the Lord to me or is this a word of limitation? Because if it's a word of limitation, you've got to learn to not rehearse it anymore, to not speak it anymore, to ignore it. Don't use it. Don't, don't rehearse it. Sometimes we can rehearse those things. And as we rehearse them, we amplify them on the inside of us. Jesus didn't, he didn't say, oh no, the, the daughter's dead. He didn't rehearse it as we would. You said the daughter, did I hear you say the daughter's dead? He said, ignoring it, he said, just believe. And many of us, we, we, we hear something, the daughter is dead. And we go, oh, what, the daughter's dead? She's, really, she's dead, really? She died? She actually died? And the more we say it, the more we amplify it. Something's going to be said over our lives and we rehearse it on the inside. She said this to me. I can't believe she said it. But, but all the time, we're actually reinforcing it. Jesus ignored it. Spoke a different word. And we have to learn to speak a different word, learn to find the truth that God speaks over our lives. Secondly, Jesus confronted heaviness and injected hope. I love how Jesus always injects hope. Now, part of coming into a corporate environment like this, we, we find hope in this place. 
we, we find in the presence of the Holy Spirit, hope comes into our hearts. When they came to the home, it says they saw, they heard a commotion, wailing, mourning, grief. The girl had died. And just to be clear, was, was she dead or was she sleeping? She had died. Jesus says she's only asleep because he knows he's going to raise her up in just a moment. To him, she was as if asleep. But like in Luke 11, where Jesus says to the disciples, Lazarus, our friend, is asleep. And they say, oh, well, let him rest. And it says, so he told them plainly, Lazarus had died. It's like, was, was she dead or was she asleep? She had died, but Jesus was able to say she's only asleep because he know he's going there to raise her up. And here we find ourselves in this story. There's, there's mourning, there's wailing. There's the sound of, of death, as it were, the, the sound of grief. The professional mourners would have joined the neighbors like a personal injury lawyer when you slip over on the floor. They're, they're there in a moment. Phone this line. Have you been injured in a car crash? No, I was fine. Someone called me the other day. Hello, is that Mr. Story? Yes. Oh, we, we hear you were in a car crash and you were injured. No. I don't think that happened. I don't know why you would suggest that. I don't know information you're going on. Are you hoping me to fabricate that? And the mourners are there. Oh, great. There's, there's somebody's died. We can get payment. Ah! Ah! And they get to the house. Can you, can you imagine arriving at that place with the sound of wailing? Some of us from our cultures, depending on where we come from, whether we've experienced that, some of us have been in funerals where we've experienced the sound of wailing. It's it's. It's really tough. It's really tough. And, and in this moment, Jesus and Jairus, and Jairus's wife, the girl's mom, and Peter, James, and John, they arrive at the house, and there's the sound of wailing. There's a spirit of heaviness is in the environment. Jesus doesn't ignore it. He confronts it. The Bible says he, he went in. I love that. When he saw a commotion with people crying, wailing, he went in. He didn't stay on the outside. He didn't regroup. He didn't think, what are we going to do here? He didn't say, let's show them a bit of respect. He said, he went in and he said, what is all this commotion? This wailing. The child is not dead, but asleep. He spoke out a word of hope into the situation. Can you imagine the roller coaster for Jairus and, and the girl's mum? But here, Jesus, he's speaking hope. Don't be afraid. Just believe. She's not dead. She's asleep. He's bringing hope, but he's confronting a spirit of heaviness. But if a spirit of heaviness had descended into the atmosphere in this place, the sound of wailing, the, the sound of grieving... You know what can happen? Sometimes the enemy delights to put heaviness upon us. A place where hope is low, where depression is close by. And heaviness can come upon us in many different ways. You know, perhaps through our own failure and shame. Through our own failure and shame. I remember as a young Christian making some, some bad mistakes. And going through a, a period of, of restoration of my own walk with God. I can remember getting to a place before God where I knew he'd forgiven me, but the issue was I hadn't forgiven myself. And I felt like I was, I was under a cloud. I couldn't lift, lift my voice. I, was, I felt not free. And it's as if the Holy Spirit spoke to me one day. He said, I've moved on. It's time you did. 
And sometimes we, we have to confront a spirit of heaviness that would try and keep us less than we should be, that we receive a word, talithakum, arise, perhaps through trial, through pain. Two, three weeks ago, we spoke about Israel and Gilgal and the reproach of Egypt. There was something was on them. I remember a friend of mine led a, a church in another country and he turned up one morning and there were two services in the morning and he arrived at the first service and only a third of the normal number of people were there. And as the morning unfolded, it came to his realization uh, that somebody had led a church split behind his back and over half the church were somewhere else. And what happened is he went through that and a sense of betrayal and some really diabolical behavior that came against him and his family in that season and they had to rebuild and regroup and work through it. And they did an incredible job and they reestablished the church and the church started to grow. And in the fullness of time, the, the, the guy who led the split even came and, uh, and asked for and, and, and repented of what he'd done and asked for forgiveness. But on the journey, I remember meeting my friend and there was something on him. He'd gone through something terrible, and in the process, he was unable to trust. He'd been damaged, he'd been let down, and he was too wary to trust. But you know, that's not whole. That's not wholeness. Sometimes there can be something on us. There was, there was something on him, and it needed confronting. He needed to come to a place where he could trust again, come to a place where he was healed again. Heaviness can come in a number of different ways, maybe through loss or grief, not just the, bereave, the, the bereavement sorry, of a loved one, but sometimes where we've had something and now we, we don't have it anymore, there can be a grieving process. We have to confront it. How can we confront it? Well, three thoughts for us today of how we confront heaviness to inject hope. Number one, we can prophesy. To prophesy is to proclaim the word of the Lord. Jesus comes in and, and he said, why all this commotion and wailing? The girl is not dead. She's only asleep. He spoke a word of purpose into the situation. He proclaimed a different word. We can come and prophesy the word of the Lord. I remember the enemy trying to take me out some years ago and I, I had to dust off every promise that had ever been spoken over my life. I went through my Bible and anything that was written in the margin, anything that had been spoken, I went to when I was baptized as a 19-year-old and some prophetic words were given and I, I, I got them out of the file and I dusted them down. I started to speak them out, to speak out the word of God. Maybe you've got a promise over your life. Maybe your children aren't walking with the Lord in the way that you hoped, but there was a promise spoken over them. Let me tell you, the Lord's word will not return to him void, but will return to him having fulfilled everything he sent out to accomplish. It's time to get some of those promises uh, off the shelf and just get dust them down, start speaking them out. Let them live again. We have to prophesy. We have to come against a heaviness. Come against some of the things that would limit us. Speak the word of the Lord. There are some things, let me tell you, there are some things they appear dead, but they're only sleeping. Maybe about our future. Something that's been spoken over you and you're living with a heaviness and it seems a long way off. It's time to speak it out again. Prophesy the word of the Lord. Ephesians 6 talks about putting on the full armor of God and it says the sword of the spirit, which is the, the word of God. The word of God, it's the only offensive piece of armor in Ephesians 6, but something happens when we wield the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We have to speak it out. 
We can confront heaviness through prayer, learn to lift up our voices in prayer. The enemy will try and take your voice. You try and take your voice. You have to learn to lift your voice. Never lose your voice. Never lose your song. Come on, my brother, my sister. I don't care what you're going through. Well, I do care what you go through, but it doesn't matter what you're going through. You have to refuse to lose our voice. Refuse to, to be timid in prayer. There's, there's sometimes times to be militant in prayer. The Bible says if I speak in tongues, I will edify myself. Many times when something has tried to come against me, a spirit of heaviness, some disappointment, some frustration, some just... Uh, sometimes the burden of what you can go through, I have to learn to pray in those times. Something starts to stir on the inside. If you've never had a release speaking in tongues, come and let the prayer ministry team pray for you. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Begin to speak in, in a language of the Spirit to allow something, to have something within you that you can release in these moments to confront a spirit of heaviness. We can praise. Possibly the most powerful weapon against heaviness is praise. Oh, the power of praise. We have to be ready to lift up our voices, to sing when we don't feel like singing, to bring a sacrifice of praise, to proclaim the goodness of God when it doesn't feel so good. Dr. John Andrews, only a couple of weeks ago, bringing an incredible word about the power of praise. Freed, but not released. We can find freedom in that place when we lift up our voices and say, God, you are good. God, you are worthy of praise. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will forever be on my lips. Lord, you are faithful and you are good and you are worthy and something comes off us. Isaiah 52, awake, awake, O Zion, shake off your dust. Sometimes as we praise him, after the dust that the devil would try and put on us, it comes off us. Is anyone hearing me today? Isaiah 61 the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And, and part of what he says, he says, I bestowed on you a, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. What, what does that tell us? It tells us that he's given us something. He's, if there's a spirit of heaviness, we'll try and come on, come on us. He's bestowed means to give. He's bestowed on us a, a garment of praise. You know, if you, if you have a garment bestowed upon you, you, you receive it. Joseph, what, what, do you, what do you come? See, if I bestow on Joseph a garment, my jacket. See, Joseph's a bit beefier than me, but he'll probably just about get in this. But if I, if I bestow on him my jacket, I'll bestow on you my jacket. He's just got it. It's there, it's his but who notices that it doesn't put itself on him? I didn't put it on him either. He has to make a decision. Is he just going to have it as something available to him or is he going to actually put, put it on? No, no, no. It's, I think it looks good up. It looks, it's, it's all right. Wow. The annoying thing is, it looks better on him than on me, right? 
Never underestimate the beauty of your youth. <laughs> but who notices that is his arms didn't make their own way in without he made a decision. You have to put your praise on. You have to make a decision. Yeah, there's no point saying I've, I've, got a, I've got a garment of praise so that I think I heard sometime. Someone once said, it's there in the bank somewhere. I think it's in Isaiah somewhere. No, the garment of praise is in your mouth, but you've got to put it on. The garment of praise is right there to confront the spirit of heaviness, but it's only you, you, you put it on when you start to declare and proclaim something. Why don't you keep that on at least for now? <laughs> Give Joseph a, a big hand. Thirdly, Jesus put out on belief to release faith. I love this. It says, verse 40, but they laughed at him, which I don't love. They ridiculed him. They despised him. They laughed at him to scorn. Another translation says, you know, what, what an incredible thought that God, the son who created the heavens and the earth, comes and speaks a word over a child that she's about to be raised up. And yet it says they laughed at him in their unbelief. Their unbelief. But the Bible says uh, in verse 40 that he put them all out. He said, get out of this house and this place. There is no room here for unbelief. I want to tell you, you have to learn to put unbelief out. Unbelief will come into your world uninvited. If you let it, it'll come in. You never invited it. You didn't notice it was there. It didn't knock on your door. But you'll find if you're not careful, sitting down at your table, eating your food, dominating the conversation, influencing your kids. And there'll come a moment where you go, hang on a minute. Who are you and who invited you in? Get out. If you're not careful, you'll, you'll find unbelief, a voice that says, did God really say, what, what, but what if, but what if, but what if, what, what if? What if God doesn't come through? What if it all goes wrong? What if, what if it doesn't work out? What if the money doesn't come? What, what if it goes bad? What, what, and, and we start playing through scenarios in our own heads that haven't even happened yet. And unbelief will sit down at your table. It will start dominating your conversation. And you have to let the man of God and the woman of God in you arise in that moment and put them out. So you have no place in this house, in this room, right here, I do not want to entertain this negative, unbelieving, faithless voice. You have no place here. Now get out. I tell you, it's a decision. It's a decision. You've got to make a decision. You've got to recognize it. Sometimes we find ourselves, we, we, we have an internal dialogue with unbelief. We start agreeing with unbelief. Unbelief starts speaking to us. It talks us out of our faith. It's what it does. And we didn't even notice. We didn't even notice that it had crept in the door, that it's who we're talking to. We need to wake up. Someone needs to wake up today. There's somebody in the room, you need to wake up because you've been talking to unbelief. It's crept in. You haven't even noticed it. You're having a conversation with it. Ha! Huh. Some of us, we, we start rehearsing all the things that could go wrong. 
In the middle of the night, you wake up and it's dark and it has difficulties. We heard a couple of weeks ago in the midnight hour. But what if we start allowing scenarios to play out, the worst case scenario? And the world will tell you, prepare for the worst case scenario. I will not prepare for the worst case scenario. It will rob me of my faith. You might say, no, no, I'm, I, I'm very risk-aware sort of person. I like to prepare for the worst-case scenario. You'll be very careful. If you like to prepare for the worst-case scenario, you'll find yourself talking to unbelief over your table more than you ought to, to make a decision. Am I going to be a person of faith or a person of unbelief? Prepare yourself for the best-case scenario. Put out unbelief. Jesus put them out. He said, get, get, get out. We're not going to do a miracle with you guys around. It's time to get out. I don't want to hear your voice anymore. I don't want to hear your commotion anymore. I don't want to hear the sound of wailing in this environment. I have come to raise up a little girl. And he's come today to raise up a little girl. He's come to raise up a a young man, a man of God, a woman of God. He's come to say, man of God, woman of God, arise. You've got to put unbelief out. I want the band come and join me. I remember when we moved here to Coventry and we, five five or plus years ago, the previous leadership had uh, take an incredible step of faith in putting this facility up. But there was a challenge because it, the finance had been geared against a business plan for conferencing that, that wasn't quite working out. The congregation itself was not strong enough to afford the repayments on the loan. And there was a challenge. There was a 1.8 million pound loan that was 10 times bigger than the church's annual giving. And, uh, and we'd moved house five weeks after we'd moved. I had a meeting with the bank manager and the bank manager said, you realize you could lose the building. There'd been a development loan to build the facility which should have matured into a mortgage on completion of the build. But the the bank had withheld the mortgage because they were nervous. They were nervous about us. I remember waking up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night. An unbelief had started, had had crept into my bedroom with me. So I was saying, let me tell you what's going to happen. Unbelief was saying to me, I'll tell you what's going to happen. Yeah, the bank's going to have to foreclose on that loan. Oh, it's going to be a terrible thing. Terrible thing, unbelief said to me. You're going to have to announce to the church that the, the building they've just spent the last three years building, the, 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 it's not theirs anymore. And you have to tell everyone. And, and, and unbelief said to me, and do you know what's going to happen? Is most of the people will leave and they'll go to a, a better church. And you'll be left with a little remnant and you'll have to find a room somewhere. Only the, 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 there aren't many decent rooms left because all the other churches have already got the best rooms. And so unbelief went on until there was a moment inside me where I, hang on a minute. What is this voice that speaks to me? You faithless voice of unbelief. My God has not brought us here to bring a disaster upon us. My God has not provoked a leadership to put a building up to, to bring disaster upon those people, but to fill it with people finding Jesus. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, who does not walk in the way of mockers or sit in the, in the, in the, in the seat of sinners. Everything he does will prosper. And something started to happen to me. I started to do all the things I've talked about, speaking tongues and relief praise and, and faith was released within me. And I kicked unbelief out of my door. I had a moment, an epiphany. Faith arose within me. I never had a moment from that time to this that everything was going to be all right. And I don't know what's going on in your world right now. I don't know where unbelief would try and come and speak to you. 
maybe a promise over your kids that you once held and it seems a long way off and you've let it go. You've allowed yourself to settle for a status quo. The, the declaration of unbelief that would say it's not going to happen now. Let me tell you, God still watches over his word. I don't know what might be going on in you. Maybe you've been believing for a certain outcome and unbelief would come and say, oh, I don't think so. The, the probability looks bad. The odds are stacked against you. Let me tell you, my God is able. Nothing is impossible with my God. Do I know every outcome? No, I don't. But I tell you this, if you're going to arise as a man of God, as a woman of God, you have to put unbelief out. I don't know how it all work out, but I know if you do it, you'll grow and you'll arise. And most likely God will give you the desires of your heart. Maybe you're nurturing a dream and you've not yet dared to take that step because you're plagued with a what if. What if, what if? A dream to do something for God of ministry or of life or, or of business. Something within you, but, there's that, but you dared step over the line because what if it all goes wrong? And you have to just ask yourself, is God speaking to me? And if He is, I'm going to step over the line. Unbelief, you can get out of the way. You know, the reality for us is our, the same bank manager who said to us, you might lose the building, went off work for over a year with a mysterious undiagnosed illness. And no one looked at our file for over 12 months. I'm not saying the Lord struck him down, but I have no other, uh, I, I, I have no other viable explanation of what happened. He's a nice guy. I didn't wish ill upon him. But during that time, the church began to grow and the giving began to grow. And we came to a place where we could buy the building off our own trading subsidiary. And what a miracle that last year, half a million pounds came off the church mortgage because of the faithful giving of God's people. But a battle can come. And I wonder if God would speak to somebody today and say, Talitha Kum, arise, arise, arise. If somebody would recognize today that you need to deal with limitation, a voice or a phrase or something that has ruled and limited your internal world. You need to take no heed of it. You need to speak it out no more. Maybe the dealing of heaviness, maybe the limitation you in a place of being restrained and it's time to confront it. It's time to lift up your voice. It's time to say, I'm going to stand tall in Jesus, not because of my own righteousness, but because of his righteousness. To deal with unbelief and to put it out. Maybe I'm speaking to somebody today. And if I am, I wonder if you'd stand to your feet and allow me to pray for you before we sing and finish our service. Maybe you just say, I, I, that I identify with that. I know I need to deal with limitation. I know I need to deal with heaviness. I need to deal with unbelief. Maybe there's something within you. And if, if you identify in some way, why don't you just open up your hands to God and begin to speak to Him. Begin to make a decision. Make a decision. It's about your result. Just, if we notice the word today is... Jesus took control of the environment. He took control of the situation. And this is the message I'm trying to bring us today, that for you to arise, you have to take responsibility. You have to resolve, not without Him, but with Him. But you have to make a decision to put your praise on. And if you're standing, I wonder if you could pray a simple prayer with me. I resolve to deal with limitation, to take no heed of the words that would limit me, I choose to believe what you say about me, God. I resolve to confront heaviness, 
to find my voice, to lift my voice, to declare your truth, God, to put on my praise. I resolve to put out unbelief, to let faith arise in me for the honour of your name. And so I pray, God, for every person in this place that you would allow a word of arise to come to bring hope and life to every spirit that stands in response today. I pray, God, you would cause something to be released in the hearts of your people that would cause us to deal with the things that would try and hem us in. That God, by your grace and Holy Spirit, by your power at work within us, we would be a transformed people. We would learn to take control of our environment. That you would be honoured in our lives and a miracle of arising would take place even within us for your glory. And everybody said, Amen. And everybody said, Amen. Let's give God some praise.